following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, November 18th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. I don't know, I might be the only person that, that thinks this way sometimes, but have you ever thought about what a marvel of creation your eyes actually are? I get caught up sometimes thinking about the way that God has fashioned the body together and just the marvel of engineering and creativity that it is. And this last week, I went and got my eyes checked for the first time in like a decade. Um, And I was sitting there and as the doctor was doing all the different tests and moving all the different things in front of my face, he's a fascinating guy. He was giving me a tutorial on how the eye works. Like, what is he looking for? What's he checking for? How does it work? What's actually happening? And I just sat there absolutely in awe of the way these two little things actually function and the the interplay of all these different muscles and all these different nerve endings and all these different lenses that are on the inside that take light in conjunction with the way your brain works and the nerves work and begin to translate in your mind what it is you're actually seeing through all these reflections and refractions of different things. And I was fascinated and then he began to explain to me how as just with age and in different things, the, the lenses in your eyes, not so much the muscles in your eyes, but the lenses begin to just suffer with age. And so he started putting all these different lenses over my face to show me how different lenses change the way you see different things. And he began to explain to me how, how glasses and how, how contacts actually work. That you can literally take a, a calibrated, specifically personally calibrated lens and stick it on your eyeball. And what was fuzzy and unclear, all of a sudden is clear. Like what you you couldn't see and and you had to respond to accordingly because you either couldn't read it here, you couldn't read it there, you couldn't really see it out there. So you had to be careful when you were going out in the distance. All that was fuzzy and unclear all of a sudden became clear. I began to think of just how important it is to be able to see with that kind of clarity how, how that kind of clarity informs not just what we see, but actually how we live and how important that kind of clarity is because you need that kind of clarity to be able to function well in life. Those of you that wear glasses and, and wear contact lenses know exactly what I'm talking about, what it is to function in your everyday life without that kind of clarity and that those glasses and those lenses, they bring a kind of clarity that gives information to you. It informs how you see, which then informs how you actually live. And as I walked away from that appointment and dazzled, in a sense, by all that God has done in creating our bodies and the way the eye works, I was reminded of something that Jonathan Edwards was famously attributed to saying in a time of prayer with people from the church in his office. One person who wrote about those times that they would have with Edwards said, on this particular morning, There was a long period of silence where Edward stopped praying. And then with a loud voice, he just exclaimed, Oh God, stamp my eyeballs with eternity. I thought about that when I left the the eye doctor. Like Edwards was crying out for God to literally implant on his eyes the corrective lenses of eternity. So that what becomes fuzzy to him and what becomes unclear to him becomes clear. 
so that through that corrective lens of eternity, he might see life in the present world more clearly. It would inform how he saw life, that it might impact how he actually lived. And I thought about in the Christian life, in the here and now, how, how easy it is for our vision to get impaired. That when, when our vision gets impaired, when our spiritual vision gets fuzzy, we can't see things as clearly as we ought, and we can't respond to life in the present as we should. Without the right lenses, we, we can't see as clearly as we ought, and our life is impacted because of it. And this impaired spiritual vision can, can leave us focusing on the close, on the here and the now. It can leave us in a place where we begin to believe that this present world is all there is. So I best get out of it all that I can get out of it or I won't get it at all. And with this impaired vision, with this inability to see clearly, you and I can find ourselves spending so much of our time, so much of our emotion, so much of our, our energy trying to find a, a fulfillment and a contentment that always seems elusive. Because the here and now was never meant to provide what it was we were looking for. It's like Edwards knowing his own heart, knowing his own susceptibility to this kind of impaired vision. He cried out to God to stamp his eyeballs with eternity, to give his heart, to give his eyes the corrective lenses that it needed. Friends, as we come to Paul's letter in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, what we'll see is that the very thing that Edwards cried out for, for God to stamp his eyeballs with eternity, Paul is going to help us to see this desire is a certain mark of a maturing disciple. Maturing disciples, maturing followers of Jesus want eternity stamped on their eyes. Why? So that their present life is seen through God's eternal lens. So that we can see clearly. So that our present life is shaped by eternal realities. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, a maturing disciple is someone who increasingly wants eternity stamped on their eyeballs. They want the realities of eternity to shape and inform the way they live their present lives. And if that's the case, what eternal realities does Paul help us to understand? What eternal realities in particular do the lenses of eternity bring into clarity for us that inform how we live now, that shape and change how we live now? Well, listen to what Paul says. One eternal reality that the lenses of eternity brings into clarity for us is that our citizenship is in heaven. 
The lens of eternity helps maturing disciples increasingly realize that this world is not their home. That's what happens. We begin to see with clarity that this world is is not our home. That our primary citizenship, that which shapes us, that which defines us, that which we identify with, our primary citizenship is not here in the United States. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. You may remember that Philippi, the the place where this church that Paul was writing to was located, had recently, within about 150 years of Paul coming there and preaching the gospel, become an official Roman colony. When people would arrive to Philippi, it would not be uncommon for them then to walk around and experience life in Philippi. The way people lived, the way that the social order was structured, what people pursued, what people valued, what they celebrated, it was not uncommon for people to come into Philippi and go, wow, this place reminds me of Rome. The citizens of that place embraced and lived out the ideals and the convictions of Rome, of the Roman world, so people would experience Philippi as a little Rome. That's what it was known as, the little Rome, an outpost of Rome. And Paul here in Philippians chapter 3 is reaching back into something he's already told us earlier in the letter when he told us to conduct ourselves in chapter 1 as citizens to conduct ourselves and live our lives as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel. That our lives were were meant to reflect our citizenship that is in heaven. They're meant to be living proof of God's kingdom. The church is meant to be an outpost, Paul is saying, of God's kingdom or an embassy reflecting and representing one nation in the midst of another. As citizens of God's kingdom, we're we're meant to represent him here. Our lives, our lives together are meant to be beacons of hope in Jesus, joy in Jesus. We're to speak his words and reflect his character. Our passions, our pursuits, our ideals, our motivations are meant to be shaped by him. When you find yourself in the presence of God's people, our lives should point to heaven should be reflective of something else. Paul has been laying out the marks of this citizenship throughout the letter, what this actually looks like. And I I love how one commentator says it. He says, you see people in this kingdom living out this citizenship, outdoing one another and showing honor, showing no partiality, putting the needs of others ahead of their own. When you see this, when you experience this, you should say, This smells like heaven. We should be giving the world a glimpse of what's coming in the future. We can show them what the king is like, what the kingdom is like. People should look at the words and the deeds of God's people and say, you're not from around here, are you? Friends, this is what Paul is reminding the church of. Eternity stamped on our eyeballs brings a clarity to the eternal reality that our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And I love how C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. Conversely, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that we've become so ineffective in this one. Maturing disciples of Jesus want eternity stamped on our eyeballs. 
We need those lenses to be reminded with clarity that this world is not our home. That the longing to remain fixated on the temporal, the the temptation to grab hold of the temporal and try to suck out of it all that we can because there's nothing more to come, that grasp that we have on this world progressively begins to loosen because the lenses of eternity are bringing clarity to the reality of what is to come. Maturing disciples want this clarity. The corrective lenses of eternity helps us to see that our best life is still yet to come. Listen to how Paul describes it. Our citizenship, he says in verse 20, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The lenses of eternity bring into clarity in the heart of God's people a real and abiding hope. It is a hope-producing promise of a future, something that even Caesar himself could not fulfill. Remember where Paul is when he's writing this letter. Paul is in prison. He is chained up to one of the elite members of the Praetorian Guard. Paul is writing to this church in chains and he is reminding them through the the lens of eternity that Jesus is going to subject all things to himself. Try as hard as Caesar wants to. Try as hard as he might. Caesar cannot do this. And this eternal perspective, the the clarity of the eternal reality that Paul had brought to him and a church undergoing persecution in Philippi for following Jesus, tremendous hope because they could see eternity, because the clarity of these lenses helped them to see the eternal reality of what was to come. They had a real and unshakable present hope And they were eagerly awaiting the return of the one who is sovereign over all things. Paul's talking about this while he's sitting there in chains. How annoying must it have been to have to watch over Paul? No matter what you did and what you tried, there was still hope. There was still joy. Because eternity was stamped on his eyes. Friends, this is the power of the corrective lenses of eternity. It provided for Paul, it was providing for the church, it provides for us a different perspective, a lens through which our present life is informed that we might respond to it differently. These lenses, this corrective lens of eternity helps us to see with clarity the sovereign one and it instills a hope in us in the midst of whatever it is we might be going through. Why? because we begin to see with increasing clarity that he is the one who will subject all things to himself, including, Paul says, our lowly body. See, without the lenses of eternity, without these corrective lenses over our eyes, you and I can spend so much mental, emotional, and financial resource trying to get out of our body now what God has promised to us in eternity. You realize this, right? Without a a clear picture 
of the eternal reality of God's promise to us in his son, you and I can get caught thinking that this is all there is. I've got to get everything out of this lowly and decaying body. But the lenses of eternity, when fixed over our eyes, bring clarity to something to come. Friends, the resurrection is the guaranteed prototype of what this is going to look like. I love that Paul doesn't give us much description. I love that really in the Bible, we don't get a lot of detailed description about what that is going to be like. But what we do know is that our lowly body, this body right here, subjected to sin, subjected to decay, subjected to mortality, it will, by the grace of God, be transformed. And it will no longer be subject to those things. It will be imperishable. And it will be glorious. Friends, so many of us, some of you sitting here are going through things. Your body is, is suffering the weight of mortality. It's suffering under the weight of decay. Friends, I have a son in heaven already whose heart was not capable of sustaining his own life here on earth. You have friends and you have family who have, who have already passed away, who, whose bodies suffered under the ravages of mortality. It's not just about vanity. It's not just about chasing a, a satisfaction and a delight in our present bodies that will one day be fulfilled in the promise to come. That's one thing. The other thing is just the, the suffering and the pain, the emotional reality that, that sin and decay has brought into our experience here. Friends, a day is going to come. Well, imagine the hope it brought these that were facing such physical realities of persecution in that time. A day is going to come when God is going to subject all things to himself, even our lowly bodies. But Paul reminds us, though, that what we really long for, what the lens of eternity brings into such sharp focus, is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we await a Savior the Lord Jesus. We await. There's a concentrated eagerness. There's a persistent expectation. The eternal lens of the gospel, when stamped on our eyeballs, it fixes our gaze to watch for him. It helps us to see with clarity the eternal reality of his return and the imminent return of the one that brings us such joy, the imminent return of the one in whom we find the most delight, the imminent return of the one who is going to subject all things to himself, who we get to be with forever. When we see that with clarity through these lens, it produces an eagerness in us and a desire for, for him to return now. This is what Paul is talking about. Alec Motyer, I've talked to you a lot about his commentary on, on this book. He, he said, you and I may well look forward to many things. Deliverance at last from even the presence of sin and temptation. Yes and amen. Meeting the great ones of old. Yeah, Paul. We get to see him. Reunion with loved ones we knew on earth. That is going to be a sweet day. The glory of the heavenly places themselves. Yes, indeed, all of these things. But beyond them all, that one feature which gives coherence and meaning and focus to heaven, the one person through whom alone this great company is gathered and for whom alone is all glory, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the lens of eternity that brings into clarity and focus for us and that informs our present day life now the promise 
of the one who has made us his own. We get him. And that changes everything. Friends, do you want to see clearly? Do you want your present life informed, seen through the clarity of eternal realities? Ask God to fit your eyes with the lenses of eternity. Make Edward's prayer your prayer. God, stamp my eyeballs with eternity. I want to see today through the lens of your promise for tomorrow. Friends, this is a clarity that without the work of God in our hearts and lives, you and I cannot produce. But there's something else that Paul says that's connected to this, and I want you to see it. Maturing disciples, yes, they, they increasingly want the clarity of eternity in their life. They want their eyes stamped with eternity, but there's something else. Maturing disciples also look for others who are seen clearly too. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk, those who live, those whose life is reflective of the example that you have in us. Remember, we've talked about this in the past. Part of maturation is realizing how far you have to go. So Paul says to find those around you who are examples to you of ongoing maturity, whose lives demonstrate that their hearts have been captured by the gospel, whose lives demonstrate that they are increasingly living through the lens of eternity, people who inspire and encourage ordinary and everyday faithfulness in your life. Find them and follow them. Do you see someone in your life, as Paul has already said, who consistently puts the needs of others ahead of their own? Those who Paul has already described are not marked by a grumbling or a complaining or a critical heart, but are encouraging and affirming of what God is doing. Do you, do you see other people around you who in their lives have demonstrated an ongoing delight in Jesus that is informing and changing how they live? Put yourself around them. Do you see people whose manner of work, the way they approach their professions, the way they approach their colleagues, the way they approach those that they're around, do you see that a people whose manner of work has been impacted and changed by their delight in Jesus? Put yourself around them. Do you see a family, a, a marriage, who demonstrate a sacrificial love and a preference for the other that, that looks like and smells like the love of Christ for his church? Put yourself around them. Do you see people who demonstrate a generosity with their resource, a willingness to sacrifice for themselves for the good of others? Put yourself around them. Do you see a people who demonstrate, someone who demonstrates a delight in God's word, someone who loves God's word, who's shaped by God's word? Put yourself around them. Learn from them. Friends, just last week, I, I sat down with a pastor who I've known for 11 years. He's here in Richmond. Uh, he's not old enough to be my dad, but he's old enough to be like a, like a younger uncle, right? We're just at that one age gap, age difference, you know? 
I've known him for over 10 years, and I have watched him through various seasons of his life and of his ministry, going from kids in the house to empty nest, going from empty nest to kids getting married, going from undergoing tremendous criticism and slander in his own church, going through different seasons of fruitfulness in his church. I have watched him go through all these different things, and we've met consistently over a decade, and I've watched his delight in the Lord and his, his heart's grasp and sufficiency of the gospel just shape him in a way that I look at him and just like, man, if when I'm his age, if I look like that, Lord, please, right? So last week we were together and we were talking about what was happening and I looked at him and I just said, I have watched for 11 years the way that you have expressed your joy in the Lord and your dependency on God and praying for those who you love and all of the different circumstances in your life. Can you and I just get together every other week that I might learn to pray the way that you pray? Not the mechanics. I mean, not so much the words, not so much the pattern, but whatever God has done in his heart that has shaped his heart to find such an intimacy and a relational dependence upon God in every aspect of his life that gets reflected in his instinct and in the way that he prays and relates to God, I want that. Friends, Paul says, find those whose lives have been captivated by the gospel. Those around you whose walk demonstrates a delight in Jesus, who you can see are increasingly living through this lens of eternity. Find them, follow them. Find out what it is in their heart that God has done, the perspective that shaped them. That's what you want. We're not talking about looking, making clones of each other. We're talking about the way that God has formed and shaped the heart and the delights. Maturing disciples look for others to follow who are seen clearly through a delight in the gospel and through the lens of eternity. But not just that, maturing disciples know not only that they need these pace setters in their life, at the same time, they desire to set the pace for others. I mean, there should be an aspiration in each of us, in all of our hearts to grow, that we might be this example for those around us. I mean, we're, at all, we're all at different stages in, in the different aspects of our life and maturation, in parenting, in, in marriage, in work, in, in our growth and delight in the gospel. We all find ourselves in, in different places, and there are people around us for whom we can set an example of what it looks like to delight in God, to see through that lens of eternity, to be informed and changed by that reality. And there should, in our growing mature, and maturing heart, there should be a desire to not only know we need those who set the pace for us to be around, but to be able to be those for other people. Because we know that we need godly examples to follow. And we want to set that example for others. Because Paul reminds us something we know, we know with our own life, there are many dangerous examples around. And look at verse 18. There are many of whom I've told you now, and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul doesn't tell us exactly who he's talking about. But here's the thing. The church knew who he was talking about. Most scholars believe that there were leaders whose, whose lives, whose walk, because of the way Paul speaks, whose lives were a contradiction to the gospel. They spoke of the cross, but their lives did not demonstrate a being broken by and shaped by the cross. 
Their walk, Paul said, the way that they lived, their walk made them enemies of the cross. Why? Well, underneath it all, Paul says, it's because their minds were set on earthly things. Their vision, their, their minds, their, their focus, it was set on temporal. It was fixated here. They were not living with the clarity of eternity. They did not have the corrective lenses of eternity on their eyes. And because of it, they were fixated here and now on the temporal. So their point of view, where their life found direction, where their decisions were shaped, where their passions were formed and encouraged was in the here and now. This world had their full attention and this is all there is. So I best get all that I can get now. Paul says their mind is set here as opposed to being seen through the lens of eternity. And because of that, their God became their, their belly became their God. Quite literally, their desires, their passions, their appetites, not so much just physically to eat, talking about the belly, the seat of emotion and desire. Their passions became their God. It's as though their life was being led around on a leash by their, phys by their physical passionate desires, by their wants and by their cravings. They were given over to self-indulgence. See, Paul doesn't warn about particular sins here. He doesn't say in this area, in this area, in this area. He's talking about the underlying reality of self-indulgence. A self-indulgence that can show itself in laziness and in, in greed and gossip and sexual immorality. A self-indulgence just being led around by what I want and I'm going to get it right now. Paul said, when your mind is fixed on this earth, when, when this is all that there is, when direction and value and passion is formed and shaped by the here and now, your passions become your God and they begin to lead you around. And you find yourself glorying in the things you ought to be ashamed of. That's what glorying in their shame means. They celebrate the things they ought to be ashamed of. I don't need to make an illustration of that. There are 10,000 illustrations of that that abound today. This is the blueprint to becoming a 21st century celebrity. Follow your passions, celebrate what you ought to be ashamed of, and you will be a celebrity. People will watch your channel. You will get enough viewers that you can monetize it, and you have nothing of substance to actually say, but for some reason we're fascinated by the way that you do this. So with tears in his eyes, I mean, don't miss this. We often think of Paul being so pugnacious, so willing to fight. With tears in his eyes when he considers the people that he's talking about. Those who are not seen through the lens of eternity, but whose minds are fixed on the earth, who are following the passions of their, their instincts and their desires to get what they can get in the here and now, who are glorying in the things that they ought to be ashamed of, it brings him to tears with concern for them, but at the same time, concern for their influence on the church. Paul reminds us that their end in all of this is destruction. Who you follow shapes whether you press on in the upward call of God or swirl around the drain fixed on the here and now. Whoever walks with the wise, Proverbs 13 says, becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
Friends, it's the corrective lens of eternity and the faithful example of fellow disciples that keeps you and I from giving in to the temptation of these poor examples because you and I are just as susceptible to these same things. So listen, find and follow disciples of Jesus who have eternity stamped on their eyes. Find and follow those that you can see whose lives are increasingly reflective of what Paul has been describing in this chapter. Find and follow those who have been captivated by the upward call of God, who are increasingly dependent on God's spirit to strive for the sake of the gospel, to live worthy of the gospel. Find and follow those that you can see are increasingly finding Jesus to be a superior joy who are learning to live informed and changed by the clarity of eternity. For this is why I think taking a a trip to a a place where we are working to reach unreached people groups is so important. You want to see what it's like to live in the hope of the promise of what's to come? Go spend some time with the growing persecuted church. Go with us on one of our church, one of our trips to Central Asia. Go with us there and experience the joy of a people who know that the fullness of all that God has promised to them is yet to come, who live in light of and with clarity the lenses of this eternal hope. It's so important to be around those who are learning to live with this kind of clarity because it's so easy for our vision to get impaired. It's so easy to find ourselves giving into the same gutter that these examples that Paul is writing of have given into. Find and follow and encourage those around you whose hearts have been captivated by the gospel, who are learning to live with the kind of clarity that comes with this eternal lens. But even more than that, make, make Edward's prayer your prayer. Cry out to God to stamp your eyes with eternity, to give you a clear vision of eternal realities that might inform and shape the way you live your present life now, that you might increasingly come to realize and live in light of the fact that this world is not your home. You weren't fit for this. There is a more preferred and better future yet to come. There is an eternity with a king who is going to subject all things to himself. There is an eternity with the one through whom you find true and everlasting joy. Ask for this perspective that God might cultivate in you a growing eagerness for his return. Friends, this morning as we prepare to respond to God's word, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, as we respond through receiving communion, I want you to be reminded as you take this bread, remembering the body of Jesus, you dip it into the cup, remembering his blood poured out, I want you to remember that this eternal future, that these eternal realities are possible only because of his sacrifice in the past. 
As Alec Motyer reminds us again, go get his commentary. On the cross, Jesus identified himself with all of our self-pleasing. He reckoned as his own all of our shady moral compromises and open moral lapses. All the ways that, that we set our minds on this earth. All the ways we give in to allowing our bellies to be our gods. And he became in himself the sin which anchored us to the earth and destined us for hell. But by bearing our sin in his own body on the cross, he discharged our debt before God. He wiped away our past and he recreated us in his own image. So listen to what he says. To continue in sin as if he had never died, to value sinful practices as if he had not exposed and discredited them, to glory in that which ought to bring us shame. That's what he's saying. To live, listen to what he says, to live within the earthly horizons as if the Son of God had not opened before our eyes a vision of heaven. To live with, without these corrective lenses of eternity. To remain bound by the shackles of the old life when he has achieved new life for sinners like you and I. Is this not to oppose all that the cross means? and all that he has accomplished. Friends, this morning, by the grace of God, you and I, through faith in Christ, live not as enemies of the cross, but those who love the cross are being shaped by the cross and who have been given the lenses and the eyes to see present, light, present life in light of the cross. This morning, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to give you a couple of minutes to just reflect on God's word, to deal with him, to let him deal with you. Cry out to him this morning. Make Edward's prayer your own. Help me to see. Give me those lenses. Stamp them on my eyes that I might see present life clearly through the lens of your eternal realities, Lord. And then for those who have repented of their sins through faith in Jesus, we are going to respond by receiving communion. Then we'll all sing and then we'll be sent out from this place as his people. So let me pray and then we'll give you a couple of moments to reflect. Father, we thank you this morning for the certain, certain promise of eternity. But we want our present lives to be shaped by the anchoring hope that we have in you. Lord, without these lenses, without this corrective work of your spirit, without giving us the lens to see, Lord, we find ourselves so easily given over to being fixated on earthly things, given over to the temptation that, that ultimately leads to a loss of joy and destruction. God, give us the lenses to see. We need you to do that. So we ask that you would do that by your spirit in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.